0: Chapter 8, How the Gospel Applies to Everything Hopefully you see by now that faith is much more than attending to our churchly duties, having peace through difficult circumstances, having the assurance of our salvation, or even taking occasional bold risks for the kingdom. These are certainly part of it, but truth is applicable in literally every moment of the day, which means that faith is applicable just as often. As cliche as it may sound, Jesus really is always the answer. The gospel applies to every area of our lives, leaving nothing untouched by the power of the cross and the resurrection. In this chapter, I hope to show you in a wide variety of ways how this is true. Taking all that we have learned so far, we will use some examples of day-to-day struggles that are relatable and common among us to demonstrate how it is that we can begin to stand in the truth and overcome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. 1 John 5.4 Unforgiveness For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Matthew 6:14 through 15 We do not like to acknowledge this verse, and others like it, but it is there nonetheless. Let no one fool you into thinking that God forgives your sins if you are still willfully holding on to bitterness or resentment in your heart toward others. God Himself says otherwise. Do not reason your way out of the plain meaning of His Word. Instead, give thanks that God has shared His forgiving heart with you, for His Word is now in you. If there is even one person whom you refuse to forgive, just one whom you fail to extend the same grace that God has given you in Christ Jesus, then you are rejecting the grace that God has shown you. How can this be so? Are we not saved by grace alone through faith alone? Are you saying that forgiveness is a work that I must do to be saved? Forgiveness is not something you must do to be forgiven. It is evidence that the truth is in you. The truth being Jesus, who died for all. Whoever lacks it is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. 2 Peter 1.9 Remember that you have been crucified with Christ. Galatians 2.20 And now the crucified Christ is your life and identity. If you believe this truth and live according to his spirit within you, then you will see others from this perspective and you will give your life for them as Jesus did. It is not simply what you need to do, despite what you want. It is who you are and what you want to do, despite what you feel. This may seem like a hard word, but please do not be deceived. A hard word is one that leaves you with a hard heart, defined by what others have done to you rather than who Jesus is in you. I am truly sorry that you have been hurt. This was never the way that it was supposed to be. God hates injustice, and he weeps with you. He does not make light of your pain and suffering. Rather, he is the most compassionate being in existence, so much so that he stopped at nothing to make up for what has been done to you. The Father did not give up His Son in order to simply acknowledge and relate to your pain. He gave up His Son to heal you and make you strong. Christ is a victor, therefore the one who is in Him is not a victim. You have been vindicated, therefore you have no need to be validated. Renounce the lie and believe the truth. But I'm a good Christian otherwise. Doesn't that count for anything? There is no amount of obedience in the world that can make up for a lack of mercy. In Matthew 9.13, Jesus tells the Pharisees, Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. God desires mercy, therefore you do too. But they were in the wrong, and they treated me unjustly. And while hanging on the cross, Jesus cried, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Luke 23, 34. Put on the mind of Christ, and you will see that this complaint is not from Him. You now have a new purpose, and it is to shine His light, manifest His life, and complete His sufferings. Rejoice in this, for it is the very reason you exist, and it is where you will find true freedom. I cannot or do not want to let go of it, That is your flesh speaking, or else it is Satan. The spirit within you, who is your life and identity, is already free of it. He loves this person. He gave his life for this person. He is love, and as such, he does not keep a record of wrongdoing. See 1 Corinthians 13.5. He gladly bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. 1 Corinthians 13.7. And he is in you, therefore you do too. Unforgiveness is deception. Tell God, thank you for giving me your heart for this person. I'm trying to let go of it, but it is proving to be very difficult. I still feel very angry. Praise God that your spirit is willing. Be encouraged that you are fighting. It is hard for you to see now, but you have already let go of it in spirit. The anger that you continue to feel is of the flesh and from the enemy. Do not be deceived into believing that you still carry resentment or hurt. You may very well feel it, and you can be honest about your feelings before God. But if you believe that they are from you rather than your flesh, you will lose the battle. Since feelings no longer dictate your beliefs, you are free to believe that you have forgiven. Abide in the truth. Abide in Christ. Continue thanking God that he has poured his overwhelming love for this person into your heart, because he has, see Romans 5.5, and walk according to that reality. As you do, your spirit will become stronger, and you will bear the fruit of his love, which has been there since you first believed. Sloth. Let's say that you are tempted with a desire to watch television instead of spending your time more productively, as you know you should. In the past, you would have taken the temptation to mean that there is apparently still some laziness to root out of your heart. You would have thought, if you just loved God more, this would not be a problem. You would have felt like you truly wanted to indulge in television, despite feeling that you should not. The ultimate conclusion would be that your will is not in alignment with God's. You are lazy, you are a sinner, and you still have some quote-unquote dying to do. All of these thoughts occur within a split second of course. And by that point, before you had even decided what to do, you had already lost. Whether or not you decided to indulge in television in that moment, you believed the lie that you wanted to. You identified with the flesh, thinking that its desires were your own. Therefore you gained no ground in terms of gospel freedom for your understanding of self did not come into further alignment With the truth. That is how you used to handle such encounters with laziness. But now it is different because you know who you are. In the same scenario, you hear the voice saying, It sounds nice to be lazy, doesn't it? You feel the burning desire to agree, the flesh raging to get its fix. Everything in you says, I want this, I want this, except the Word of God who says, No, you do not. Then you look to Christ and His glory. And you recognize that because these feelings cannot be his, neither are they your own. They come entirely from the flesh, which is on you, not in you. They are like a cancer on the skin, as opposed to a cancer in the soul. It is not a product of you. It is a foreign entity on you, causing you some temporary discomfort. There is no defilement of thought, because it is not your thought. There is no unholiness of desire, because they are not your desires. There is no fault in you whatsoever, because you are not even in the flesh. See Romans 8, 9. So how do you approach the throne with this temptation to be lazy? You give thanks to God for making you clean and holy. You thank Him that you do not want to be lazy at all, and that you love being productive and prayerful. You do not feel it in the moment. In fact, you feel exactly the opposite but you no longer walk by feelings. You walk by faith in God's word, and you rejoice that he has given you his energy and diligence, making you new in his image. Anger. I was speaking with a pastor friend once who told me that he had always thought of himself as an angry person. This self-assessment only seemed accurate in his eyes, given how constantly he felt anger boiling beneath the surface. This had become a part of his identity, and therefore a seemingly inescapable reality. Knowing he was a believer, I looked him in the eyes and said, Brother, you are not an angry person. Tears filled his eyes as he had never considered that to be a possibility. How could I be so certain? Because God's word says so. By definition of being in Christ, the flesh is no longer an accurate expression of him. Christ is his life and identity. And Christ is the most gentle and patient person the world has ever known. We regard no one according to the flesh. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5, 16-17 My friend was only seeing himself wrongly, and therefore experienced lifelong slavery to this false self-image. Not surprisingly, He immediately questioned why it was then that he always felt anger and why he was so often unable to control it. I told him that the true culprit of his anger was his own body of flesh rather than his spirit, and he had just not learned how to live by faith according to the spirit within him. Within just a few short days of walking by faith in his newness, he began to experience freedom from anger that he had never felt before. Communing with God One day recently, I was driving in the car alone for about an hour and a half. I am not exaggerating when I say that I was in a state of euphoria for most of the trip, an unbroken smile stretching from ear to ear. I was not just in a good mood that day, nor was this due to beautiful weather or the right music or any other sort of temporal thing. Rather, I was just being with God in silence basking in his perfect love and reciprocating it in a measure that I never thought possible. What made this time of communion so overwhelmingly sweet is that I believed more than ever that my love for God was as pure and undefiled as his love for me. It was mutually fulfilling in a way I had never experienced. And most importantly, it was driven by faith, not just fleshy feelings. At one point, the thought came into my mind that perhaps I was not being sincere, that I did not truly love God like I was pretending to love Him in this moment. In the past, this may have led me down a rabbit trail of doubt, ultimately stealing from this wonderfully intimate moment. But because I was grounded in the truth, the thought went away as soon as it came, and my communion with God remained uninterrupted. The Bible says that God's own love, which is perfect, is in my heart. See Romans 5:5 5, 5. Therefore, the gospel gave me permission, or rather, it required me to believe that this self-deprecating thought could not be true. In other words, the truth defended me in this time of communion, so that the enemy could not step in and ruin it with his lies. In prayer, we must be able to say to God, "I love you with all of my heart, and we must not doubt that this love is sincere. When experiencing intimacy with God, the enemy will attempt to disrupt. He may assault you with evil thoughts, making you feel defiled, unrighteous, or unworthy. Do not be surprised if, in the midst of enjoying God, you hear things like, This isn't real. You don't actually love God like this. Who are you kidding? You aren't being sincere. You'd rather be doing something else. Look at how you sinned just earlier today. Do you really think God is pleased with you? do you really think he enjoys you? But if you become fortified in the truth, you will find that the truth defends you so that these types of thoughts can no longer distract you or affect you at all. In this way, unwavering faith leads to unbroken communion. Addiction. Many recovery programs for addicts embrace the motto of Once an Addict, Always an Addict. They worry that if a person believes he is no longer an addict, then he will be more liable to getting caught off guard when temptations arise, and therefore more vulnerable to relapse. This may be true for an unbeliever who has not been transformed by Jesus. But the gospel leaves no room whatsoever for this insidious mindset. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. 2 Corinthians 5.17. If one never wavers in this belief, then it will be impossible to relapse. This is not to say that one cannot again be tempted. We should not be the least bit surprised when temptations come. But now we are armed when temptations come because we know where they come from, the flesh, not the spirit. Therefore, we are not deceived when they arise and we are equipped to battle the lie With the truth repentance accountability and support are all helpful and important but the truth of the gospel will set you free as nothing else can sexuality there is quite a lot of confusion today even in the church regarding matters of human sexuality but when we see the gospel clearly it sheds much light on the matter as we have said The grace of God is much more than forgiveness and a ticket to heaven. It powerfully delivers us from the sinful passions of the flesh and makes us one with Christ. Therefore, after hearing the truth about the gospel, to continue living according to the flesh, identifying with it rather than with Christ, is to reject the grace of God and prove that one's faith is not genuine. One who identifies as a homosexual, for instance, is not identifying with Christ. To be sure, this is true for every form of sin. God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. 1 John 1.5 As with any other desire of the flesh, whether or not a person experiences homosexual attraction has no bearing on what is true of their spirit. A person's sexuality is entirely a matter of the flesh, not of the spirit we could also say the same about one's gender. For there is no male and female in Christ Jesus. Galatians 3.28 While the reality of the flesh is there, it does not define who we are or what we really want, nor does it give us a license to sin. If we believe it does, then we have misunderstood the gospel, which says we have died to sin and put off the flesh. Frankly, it does not matter what a person was born into if that person has died and been born again. Every person on earth was born into a body of flesh with sinful passions. Yet those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Galatians 5.24 If you have been born again in Christ, then you have been created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Ephesians 4.24 Everything else is falsehood. Put it off, and walk in the truth. You are no longer in or of the flesh. If you live according to it, you will die in your sins. But if you live according to the Spirit within you, you will have life abundantly. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. Romans 8.6 There is plenty more to say on this topic, but rather than address all the different angles of it, I will simply say this as an encouragement to the church. Seek first to understand the gospel and everything else will become clear. By his wounds, we are healed. There are some things which, for one reason or another, many Christians believe have no gospel solution. Maybe they do not believe this technically, but practically. In other words, they believe that God can do it, on the sole basis that he is all-powerful, but not really that he will do it, let alone that he already has. I am thinking of things like anxiety, depression, addiction, eating disorders, emotional trauma, ADHD, etc. What all these have in common is that, in many cases, we may not describe them as sin, but as sickness or corruption. The diagnoses involve a problem within the body, usually the brain rather than the soul. I think most Christians would agree that the gospel should deliver us from sin, but there is much less agreement about its healing effect on the body. Hence why, even in the church, the default treatment for such things is often counseling, medication, support groups, and so on. There is nothing inherently wrong with these other forms of treatment. They can even be quite helpful. And to the extent that it is God's will for you to be well which I believe it generally is, then you should seek wellness however it may come. That being said, I believe wholeheartedly that there is a more powerful and holistic solution to such conditions, that is, persevering faith in the finished work of Christ. To be clear, I am not providing medical advice here. I speak as a pastor, a spiritual guide, not a health professional. I have no intention of replacing anyone's doctor or counselor, nor to convince anyone to discontinue the kinds of treatment aforementioned. They have their place and can be a great blessing. As a minister of the Word, I specialize in the gospel and nothing else. Therefore, I cannot, with integrity, offer advice regarding other forms of treatment, positively or negatively. I only intend to show you that the gospel is more relevant and faith more practical than you may have thought. To make my case, let us use depression as an example. Perhaps your psychiatrist has determined that it is a chemical imbalance in the brain, or perhaps there are circumstantial reasons that you attribute to your condition. Whatever the reason, it is imperative you realize, if you are a believer, that the depression is not in your heart or spirit, but in your flesh. In other words, you must make the distinction that it is not in you but in your body. How can you be so sure? Because the fruit of the Spirit is joy. Through faith in Jesus, you have been made one with the Spirit of joy who lives in you. Can the Spirit of God be depressed or anxious, unfocused, addicted, restless, traumatized, etc.? Most certainly not. So as a matter of fact, neither are you in spirit. Remember, Christ is your new life and identity. Therefore, you cannot at the same time identify with depression while also identifying with Christ, in whom there is no depression. To do so is deception. Please hear me. This does not in any way diminish the fact that you are really experiencing depression, nor is it to suggest that you should just get over it quite easily. Rather, it is to clarify what the source is so that you know how to fight back. You may feel it, sure, but you must not identify with it as if it is in your spirit. When feeling depressed, it is most natural to think to yourself, I am depressed. But this is the lie that Satan loves for you to believe. The truth is that your flesh is manifesting depression, and it is waging war against your spirit, which is not yet strong and mature. You do not need more joy and contentment. You already have it by the Spirit of God within you. You now need to abide in Him by believing it is so, putting off the lie that the flesh is an expression of you. Once again, this is very different from trying to make yourself joyful or pretending that you are. Faith is not striving to become something you are not. It is striving to believe that you already are what God says you are. Moreover, faith is not pretending or mere positive thinking. It is a conviction of truth that you cannot currently see. See Hebrews 11.1. There is one thing that defines you now, Christ in you. Relentlessly thank God that he has delivered you from relying on your flesh and your feelings for happiness. You are learning to experience joy through him. Rejoice that he has given you joy inexpressible and renounce every lie that says otherwise. You can even rejoice as you suffer through this because it gives you the opportunity to put off the flesh and grow strong in spirit. See Romans 5, 3-5. Then, have great hope in the fact that as you become more grounded in the truth, the spirit within you will begin to give life to your mortal flesh, putting to death the depression within the body so that it no longer is able to wage war against you at all. See Romans 8, 10 through 13 There is no corruption in the vine therefore corruption will not remain in its abiding branches You could certainly pray that God would just remove the depression from your body and perhaps he would perhaps he would not Either way this leaves you waiting and powerless until God decides to act Moreover it leaves you relying on the flesh to be free from depression instead of relying on the spirit to be free from the flesh. So the better option, I believe, is to take hold of the grace you have been given. Strive to believe in the unseen reality in which the Bible says you live, where there is not even such a thing as depression. If you want to take it a step further, ask God to help you identify whatever lies are afflicting you. Then fight back with the truth. Do you feel as if your life or certain aspects of it are meaningless? Is there too much weight and responsibility on your shoulders to handle? Are there people you have not forgiven? Hurts that have not healed? Dreams you have failed to attain? Regrets you have been unable to let go of? Whatever it is, diligently seek what God's Word says about it, and then prayerfully strive to believe His Word, giving thanks and putting on Christ by faith. Do this with each and every lie that comes to the surface and do it until it is gone. As you grow stronger in faith, living increasingly according to the Spirit, your joy will come from heaven, and nothing will be able to take it from you. Another thought that you may be oppressed with is that you do not even want to be full of joy, that there is some sick and twisted reason you prefer depression over freedom. Notice how this degrades your spirit, so you must know that it also is a lie. The desires of the flesh are against the Spirit to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Galatians 5.17 What this scripture implies is that you truly desire what the Spirit of God within you desires, and this is always freedom. No matter how strongly you feel a given desire is your own, if it is opposed to the desires of the Spirit, i.e. the will of God, then it is from your flesh, not from you. Do not be deceived. Again, thank God that he has given you all of his desires, despite what you feel in a given moment. Now, if you understand what I have said about depression, then it should be quite easy to see how it applies to other things as well. Emotional trauma, addiction, ADHD, anxiety, sleeplessness, etc. If it does not describe Jesus, then it no longer describes you. A great mantra to hold for such things as these is this: By his wounds you have been healed. 1 Peter 2:24. God says it is so. Will you humbly receive his word despite what you currently feel? Like so many amazing aspects of the gospel, this is an unseen truth that will only become visible by believing it. These conditions we have mentioned are conditions of the flesh with which we no longer identify, since we now live by the Spirit. To identify as an addict, to identify with old wounds, or to identify with the corruption of the flesh at all, as if they define who you are, is to undermine the power of the cross and the resurrection, by which you have been united with Christ. You have put off the flesh and been born again to new life. See Colossians 2:11 11-12 with God's character and incorruptible nature. This life may be hidden, see Colossians 3.3, 3, but it is nonetheless real. Take hold of it by faith and never look back. The battle. In the case that you have not yet discovered this for yourself, we might as well acknowledge it here. Walking by faith is not always a walk in the park. It is truly the narrow gate, that few will find. See Matthew 7, 13-14. As you begin to exercise your faith, you may notice how quickly you are confronted or even assaulted with conflicting thoughts, feelings, and trials of various kinds. You will begin to see how all of life is a spiritual war zone and how every waking moment is an opportunity to become stronger and prevail. This may sound burdensome at first, but actually faith is the only thing that brings us into genuine rest from our works. See Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28-30. This may sound burdensome at first, but actually, faith is the only thing that brings us into genuine rest from our works. See Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28-30. And we need not wait for that rest to come. It can be found at all times in the hidden life with Christ in heaven. As we grow in faith, living more through Christ, We become much less like battle-weary soldiers hanging on to life by a thread, and more like battle-hungry, blood-bathed conquerors charging forward in the strength of the Lord. The armor may initially seem like an awkward fit, but soon you will become very comfortable in it. See Ephesians 6, 10-18. As you transform your way of thinking, praying, and proclaiming these unseen truths over your life, The first thing you might notice is a feeling of dishonesty it may feel a bit disingenuous to tell god thank you for something you do not yet see or feel this is actually not a bad thing the feelings of dishonesty just mean that you are finally confronting your unbelief head-on it is far worse to go your whole life thinking that your faith is strong and genuine only to remain in spiritual infancy for the length of your days just remember When your doubts and fears are exposed, they are only being exposed for the first time to you. God knew they were there all along. Now the false pretense is removed. You and God are on the same page. You have a better idea of how and what to pray. I often say, Lord, I believe, but help me with my unbelief. See Mark 9, 24. The next thing that you might notice is that you do not see an immediate transformation. Do not let this discourage you or lead you astray from the truth. The passions of the flesh are like a stray cat. Having habitually fed them your whole life, you should not be surprised when they do not leave you immediately. It is likely that they will keep returning for a while before they finally realize that it is pointless, and they will leave you for good. Either way, you must never wait for the fruit in order to determine what is true. This is not faith, therefore it will not produce the results you desire. Regardless of what is occurring in your flesh, relentlessly abide in the truth of Christ and His finished work, and the fruit will inevitably come. If ever you are struggling to overcome a particular sin, the answer is the same as any other time. Believe. This is your repentance, for you cannot truly believe and continue in sin. See Romans 6.2. The extent to which you are still overcome by sin is the extent to which you have not yet fully believed the gospel. There is no reason to be ashamed of this. Just recognize that your faith is not yet perfect and continue to grow in it. Forget what lies behind and strain forward to what lies ahead. Philippians 3.13 Worth noting is that while you may know the gospel intellectually, this does not necessarily mean that you believe it in your heart. The former has very little power compared to the latter. I know intellectually that I am dead to sin, but it is very clear that at times I do not fully believe it or even fully understand it. So I continue to ask God for a deeper revelation of the truth that I already accept, and He is always faithful to answer that prayer. Remember, knowledge becomes revelation through prayer. The flesh may land some punches, but take heart that the war has already been won. It makes no difference whether you have been caught up in the flesh for a few hours or a few months. The truth of who you are in Christ has not changed. The grace of God compels you to leave the past behind and move forward in truth. I believe that these moments of clarity that follow periods of darkness are actually some of the most opportune times to tackle the lies that have caused you to sin. You may experience sincere, godly grief, but do not waste these moments of clarity by being weighed down with guilt and condemnation or beating yourself up for not having enough faith. Instead of focusing on all the time that you spent being deceived, take advantage of every moment that you have your wits about you, despite how infrequently they seem to come at first. Soon you will find your mind being renewed and your life transformed. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Romans 12.2